Welcome back to the Sales Leader Show. Our guest today is the Revenue Operations Manager at Snowflake, focused on SDRs. The founder of OneView and several other companies, he was the head of marketing operations at Customer and the global territory operations manager at Workfront in the past. He comes highly recommended by Jake Wilson, a previous guest on the podcast. With me today is Remington Rollins. Nice to be here. Gotta be talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, how, how are you doing today? It's going good. Just the middle of the whole new fiscal year transition and all the things that that brings for planning and quoted rollout and all that. So it's been a, it's been a hectic week, but a good one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Honestly, you know, I had a hectic week last week. Um, I, I'm in a new company since November, so I'm still like kind of ramping up and getting fully integrated. And last week was my first week where it was like really full of everything. And, uh, it's like, it's tough, but I'm grateful that, that it's like sometimes not hectic is worse, you know, because yeah, you don't have yeah. anything going on. Having some passion towards what you're doing always makes it a little easier to be busy too. So yeah, true. no doubt. No doubt. So I'm going to lead off with a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, people who listen to the show will recognize this question, but it's probably a bit of a, uh, a curveball for you, but I guess my question is if or or what is something that maybe people I'm I usually focus on sales but you could really apply this to anything but what are what are some philosophies and thoughts about careers that people have that maybe you would passionately disagree with or maybe how do what are some things people do with their career that you would passionately disagree with it's a good question um I think first things first, they think about things in terms of how do I just get more money? And then they usually don't end up getting more money. That's one of the things that I've, I've found is, is really difficult as well as I think there's a lot of people that would like to have more responsibility at work or would like to be given more opportunity, but they don't know how to get there or they legitimately have reasons that they can't get there because of prejudice or because of people that are putting them in a box where they can't get out of it, especially like the gender pay gap and things like that related to women trying to like get leadership roles and also people of minorities. And I think those people probably should be given the chance because I think that's one of the biggest travesties when diversity doesn't get prioritized is because like people that are talented and probably would do a better job than other people sometimes don't get where they could be. So I, I really hate it when that doesn't happen, but I think a lot of people misunderstand when they're going into their career, like what are the different pillars of career choices I could be choosing and why should I make that decision? And I've, I've coached a lot of people on this. I've actually helped um, somebody even yesterday just figure out how to interview, how to think about this problem and how to get a more robust leadership role at the company that they're at. And I think it's crazy that we never get training on that about like, how do you get promoted in your job? How do you find a new job and actually like succeed in the interviews? You do that if you go to business school, but that's not a thing in high school. It's not a thing from your parents. Usually it's not a thing from you know your coworkers. Your boss isn't going to tell you how to find a better job. 
So there's a lot of things that people just have misconceptions about or don't realize that they can achieve something that they think is impossible. That's one of the reasons why I like this topic is helping people find those pillars or the guideposts for the way that they should think about things. So I guess that's my answer. Yeah, I love it. Um, uh, just sort of following up on that, let's say that there is a situation where perhaps there's some discrimination due to race or, or gender or whatever it may be. You know, when you're in that situation, what can you do? Because I'm sure there's things you can do to improve your chances or um, to kind of just wake someone up to say, hey, dude, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm perfect for this. But uh, I know you can't control the outcome, but what, what, what are some things? I think it starts a little bit before the moment of discrimination in a lot of cases. Um, there's a lot of people out there willing to mentor and to help you understand things that you don't know, regardless of if you went to school with them or they were your professor or you work for them. And I found early on when I started talking with some people in um, minority groups, as well as women that I've talked with, but they don't feel like they have connections to, to certain people. They don't know how to find them. If you can get connected to people that have connections and try to use those relationships to get connected to others, then you're not just going into a, I hope I get this job type of situation. You have to almost like go the it's who you know, not what you know type of route. And when that happens, it's a little easier to use those connections and the influence that those people have to help you have a fair chance because people are coming at the situation differently. They're not just looking at your resume or thinking about who you are, what types of things that you may have done in the past, but they're looking at the relationship you've built with somebody that they are connected to. And that can, that can really help when you get in the situation though. Um, I think, first of all, I don't ever hear people say like, Oh, I have a really good attorney, but I have instructed a lot of people to get an attorney, even if it's not like a venture capital attorney or some really expensive attorney, having somebody review your employee agreements, having somebody talk through, with you, what is something like discrimination or how does that work? Or what are my options if that happens? That's probably the easiest way because it doesn't matter how frustrated you are. If you can't you know, prove it or leverage some of the things that you would be able to leverage because you don't know what those are, it's very difficult to make some sort of change because it's really at that point like a he said, she said sort of situation or some sort of a disagreement that is very difficult to overcome. So I, I think there's a, lo a lot of things I don't understand about this topic. I'm not somebody who deals with the discrimination. I've had tons of opportunities given to me that probably others would have had to work a lot harder for. And I recognize that, but that's kind of why I am passionate about this topic is giving people like the chance to see that there might be things they can do before they get in those situations to put themselves in a, in a more advanced spot in the process versus trying to hope that something like that doesn't happen. And that's where I think networking comes in. Yeah. I honestly, that's a big reason I started this podcast is to network, you know, to get to know people that I look up to that I think um, that I would want to get to know better and kind of learn from them. So I definitely believe in that 100%. One of my struggles in sales, as well as in just sort of moving up the ladder, you could say, or, or being more intentional with my career in the past has been the fact that I'm very agreeable. And I think that can be a superpower in the sense that I'm, I'm pretty empathetic and I'm, and I care about people, 
but it's also a weakness in the sense that I, I maybe lack on the assertive side of things. And it's something I've had to work on. Is that something that you see a lot that maybe just, just not being assertive and letting people know that, Hey, this is where I want to go. You know? So if there's any opportunities, you know, keep me in my type of thing or, or, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's rare that somebody doesn't like desire to be assertive. I'm sure you would say like, yeah, if I could be more assertive, I'd want to be. I just don't sometimes feel comfortable doing that or I feel like I'm going to get, I'm going to put somebody in a position where it's an awkward situation if I am that way or do I really deserve this? There's a whole imposter syndrome side yeah. of that too. Um, in conversations I've had, I teach the principle of a problem story um, principle, a PSP approach to interviewing, where when somebody asks you a question and they're saying something like, tell me about a time when you had something difficult with your boss at work and how you handled that. You should be more assertive, but not in a way that is like overtly trying to be passive aggressive. So when you say something like, well, that is a great question. There was a time when there was a little bit of a, a discrepancy or an issue. You kind of describe a problem and then you tell a story. So what I ended up doing was, and you can be really assertive when you're telling a story. You can tell somebody like, I realized that something that's really important to me was being able to have the right level of pay, being treated fairly, being able to achieve the things that I want to in my career because I've given opportunities to grow. And then you finish it off with like the principle of, and I know like if I can work hard and have the opportunities that I'm talking about having, then I can end up doing what I need to do to have a good relationship with my boss in this new job because I have done what I feel like I need to. So it's like you can layer in things sometimes if you take the state of problem, tell a story, end with the principle that you're trying to drive home. And then at the end of an interview, it's very rare that I see people ask a question of, um, tell me your biggest concerns with potentially hiring me. And then they get to talk about the things that they might be feeling and you get to have a little bit of a heat check on like, is there something I need to address that they didn't really see in me? And should I like say something else to fix that? I think that's been the biggest thing that's helped me because when I get done with an interview and I've asked good questions, I've come with a, a plan to try to show them that I'm in a place where I can accept this job. But then I ask that last question, like, what would be the reason why I wouldn't get the job? Just, I'd feel inappropriate even asking because I don't want to like cause an issue if you feel like you can't share, but like it would really help me just so that I can improve and be better and like take this situation forward if I don't get the job. So can you give me a little bit of feedback? And a lot of times that leads somebody down the path of being more likely to get the job, even if there are concerns, because that person that's being asked that question has to think about that with you in the room. There's just a little bit of a psychological difference in, I think, the way that that candidate to interviewer conversation ends up going. The other thing is pay is a very difficult topic, and it's one that you need to know the laws of your state related to, like, do you have to share how much you currently get paid? No. Most of the time, no. And back in certain states, like in New York, when I was interviewing for customer they asked me a question that was very specific in the interviewing process and I couldn't answer. And I told them like, I don't think that this is a question that I should have to answer because the New York laws say that you can't ask that in an interview. Like that was something that they ended up feeling like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even know that. 
And it was good because I was able to just talk through what I could talk to, but I didn't have to, just because an interviewer asks that doesn't mean it's something I have to answer. But if you don't know some of that information, it's really hard to be assertive about the pay stuff. And then when you do answer, give them a range that makes sense for what you would want. You don't have to say a range that's related to what you currently make. And that's a good way to be assertive in a way that doesn't cause you to feel like you're being dishonest or have to answer something that you don't feel comfortable answering or that you shouldn't have to answer. So that's a couple of thoughts so, there. Yeah, I love that. And I'm curious, like, I would be nervous and that's some good assertiveness. Right? I'd be nervous in that situation thinking, all right, if I don't answer this or if I come back and say, nah, it's against the law for you to ask that I would come off maybe as being hard to work with or aggressive and maybe totally. hurt my chances. So tell me kind of what, yeah, and I, I said the short story of what I, I didn't say those exact words, obviously. Okay, yeah. does, um, when I just told you that, it sounds like, whoa, like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, what's the problem? Right. Uh, but you, when, they, when they ask a question like, well, what do you currently make? The answer that I gave was, I think that it's important that we talk about this not in the terms of what I currently make, because I don't actually think it's equivalent to the current pay schedule I'd get if, for a New York company. I work for a Utah company. So knowing that and knowing that the way that this would be paid out is going to be different based on the fact that I work for you, as well as it's a different role than I currently make now, I want to make sure that we're asking questions and talking about things in a way that matches up with like what's allowed to be talked about in an interview. I'm pretty sure in, in New York, like we can't even talk about some of those things. So if it's okay, I'd love to talk about like the pay band that I care about and that what I would need for this role. And especially if somebody is recruiting you it's a lot easier to say something like that because you're not coming off like, oh, I'm trying to get a job and I'm like so higher, holier than now, like you can't hire me unless I get this much pay. If they're recruiting you, it's a lot easier to say that. If they're not recruiting you, you do have to be careful, but I still think you can say something along the lines of what I said without saying it's illegal. Just know that in the back of your mind that it's like, they can't, they can't keep asking me this. And if they ask a second or third time, like, what are you making? You can be like, yeah. I'm sorry, but this is something I thought was not okay to talk about. Can you help me understand why you need to know that? And then just flip it back to them with a mm -hmm. question. And I think that's that's a helpful way. But I definitely didn't say to them that was illegal. That's the, the <laughs> message I conveyed to them so that they would know that that wasn't a conversation I was willing to have. Yeah, no, that's good. That makes a lot more sense in the full <clears throat> context. And um, I, I guess I want to go back because originally you were actually in sales were you not yeah i was and you transitioned over to ops so what tell me about that process and how that came about well i still to this day love cold calling and i get to train a lot of the sdrs on cold calling because it's like my favorite thing it's the psychological um war that happens between somebody who doesn't want to talk with you and like how you get to the point where you can talk with them is fun. So I realize I'm in a place yeah. that is a little different than what some people are in when they start trying to figure out how to transition. I'm very comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And that that is something that I don't know why it just is the way it is. But when I had yeah. a lot of ops issues as an SDR at Lucid, where they were just growing like crazy, I was one of the first SDRs that they had and I got outreach going for everybody and I ended up sequencing like thousands of people in a short period of time, got lots of meetings and whatever, and started realizing like, oh, there's some implications of how I'm doing things and we need to change the systems and whatever. 
So I worked at the systems guy and we ended up talking a lot and got to know the systems well. And then I went to Workfront because they didn't have a role for me in operations there. And I knew I wanted to go into operations because I wanted to, I want to be an entrepreneur. That's why I started OneView. That's what I'm hoping to do. And I think operations was a good middle ground because I don't have a business degree. It kind of got me exposed to a lot of other things. So I went to Workfront and um, shortly after my six month mark, I started creating business cases where I would go to the ops team and I said, like, here's something I think we need to change. These are the conversion rates that we're having because this is broken. If we fix this, here's the amount that we could get from doing that across our org. And <clears throat> eventually like third or fourth project in, I told my teacher about this at school because I was still a full-time philosophy student um, while I was working as an SDR. And I, she was like, you should use that project that I gave you guys for um, figuring out how to help somebody at your company to try to get a new job. Maybe you could do an operations job right now. And I was like, I didn't think I was ready because I thought I had to like, you know, grow up more before I could do that. Huh. But I went to him yeah. and I was like, hey, I've got a school project. I need to help with a big project that's going on in operations. Can you let me be in on one of the discussions that you have and like give me some assignments and just extra credit. It's just something I think would be fun, but I would love to know if it would be something you can judge me on just in case I want to go into ops. So they gave me a chance to do a few things. It was related to the sequencing changes that we needed to make and then the database being more clean so the SDRs could end up sequencing people easier and using triggers and outreach to send people to sequences right away. And um, I ended up talking with the VP and I told him like, I'd really love to see if you can, the VP of, of business development, Justin Hyatt was who I'm talking about. I was like, I'd love to see if you could help me get some sort of role in operations using some of these things I'd done. And he was like, dude, that would be so helpful. Let me see what I can do. So we talked with the VP, Curtis Homus, the VP of sales ops, and they got me an interview and I talked with my, who became my, my boss, Alyssa Chow. And she liked me enough to give me the chance. So it ended up working out that I, I shifted over, like, dropped my quota. I had like a month gap where I had to finish out and um, do my SDR job. But it was really cool because the transition was, well, first of all, it was really hard. The transition from having a list of 25 dials a day to a list of 25 things to do that were all things I didn't know how to do. Like that was challenging. Yeah. I, anybody that's trying to do a shift from, from sales roles to ops, like it's a rude awakening and you got to pace yourself. Don't do what I did, have work-life balance. But like there's, there's definitely some value in as your sales rep, if you're thinking about going to operations, you're thinking about going to marketing, start getting in the headspace of that role and like put yourself in a place where whether it's a school project or whether you're just saying, hey, this is a topic that really interests me. Can I figure out how to be a part of this? It could help me in my own territory. It could help my manager, whatever. That gives you a chance to have a peek inside the curtain and a chance to also show the types of things you could do and figure out if it's even something you want to do because you don't know what operations is like until you've done it, believe me. But it is something that I wanted to do and getting that chance was really healthy so that I could be a part of a project, get to know the leaders I might be working with. And then ultimately it was a really good reason for me to get into ops because they were like, yeah, this is a really helpful project. We'd love to have you come and do this like more as a full-time thing. Yeah. I want to dissect that a bit. So going all the way back, maybe to Lucid, it sounds like when you were an SDR there, what was, I, I, you told, 
the general story that you started working with some of the tools and you brought in outreach, I think you said, and, and we're kind of spearheading some of those sequences and things. So at what moment or what process kind of made you start thinking, hmm, maybe I want to do more ops than, than sales. Um, and I think a lot of people, when that starts to happen, they push those thoughts away because they're like, no, 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 I can't change. I can't try to start a whole new thing. So I'm curious, like what led you to believe that and then kind of decide, hey, yeah, this is what I want to pursue now. I think um, <clears throat> to answer it, I got to go back even more, just a little bit. When I was at InsideSales.com, I was selling to sales people, selling to sales ops people. I talked with tons of sales ops people all the time. And I got to ask them like, what are your problems and what are the things you're doing to solve them? And here's how inside sales can help and that sort of thing. It's like an outreach is Zant for a long time. That's that company. Mm -hmm. um, and in the process of getting promoted to be an AE there, it was like 10 months in as an SDR, I got promoted. And a little bit after that, like two weeks, three weeks or something, maybe it was like a month. I was in a sales training and this 110 pound, 120 pound slab of steel like a makeshift whiteboard that they had put some shower board on and then attached one of the things to for holding the markers. It fell off the wall and knocked me out cold. It might hit my back of my neck. So it pulled me out of the chair and then landed on me and it took like three guys to get it off me. Whoa. So I was like completely dazed. I came to, didn't know where I was. I had to go to the hospital. They called my wife. She thought that I got in a fight at work because she's like, why would he need to go to the hospital for a desk job injury? Um, <laughs> So as part well, of that process means you have a history of fighting. It sounds like, <laughs> no, I don't. I just this think that guy. was the only thing that made sense to her. So but I, um, as part of that, I shifted my major from business to and information systems to philosophy. I uh -huh. started thinking about things in a more analytical way. I had to like really challenge my brain to think differently and to get better from where I was when all of that happened. And then I had Wait a second. You know, Hold I think I might have interrupted yeah. you and missed something, but the injury did cause some type of damage or or yeah, mental shit. It was a, a traumatic brain injury. I had to go through like a year long recovery. I couldn't work for I don't know what it was, like three months or two, two and a half months. And then I switched to Lucid because one of the managers there was an employee with me at Inside Cells. So he knew mm -hmm. about my situation and he was willing to let me come over but candidly inside cells really didn't take care of me when that happened they kind of said it was like my fault you don't get anything from us and whatever so okay it was, it was a bad Jeez. deal um lucid though i had a ankle surgery again i've had six ankle surgeries it was my third ankle surgery at the time and i realized like okay first of all i can't keep trying to hit a quota when it's killing me to do the, do all this health stuff that was going on at the same time. And I had to figure out how to find a different way to make the same amount of money. And that was the, the first like thing that got my brain going. And then I was like, maybe I could start a business. So I went and talked to some entrepreneurship advisors and met with some professors at my school. And they're like, you don't know anything. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so um, they suggested find a job that you can learn more and then build on that to try to start a business over a longer period of time. Don't quit your full-time job, especially when you have all this health stuff, you need insurance. And I was like, okay, you're right. So I figured with all of that, the fact that I was 
kind of thinking differently and viewing life a lot differently after that concussion, but then also just experiencing the hardship of like not being able to work as much when you have health stuff. I was like, I need to find something more stable and operations was a good thing for entrepreneurship. So that was where the motive came from initially. As I got into it, I realized that there was those, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, those pillars of like how you decide where you want to go. I think yeah. one of the big separators for a lot of people that you got to decide is, um, do you want to be a people leader or do you want to be an individual contributor? And that's yeah. across anything, whether you're in sales, whether you're in operations, whether you're in marketing, any sort of company that you're in, do you want to figure out how to lead a team to do one-on-ones to help develop other people? Or do you just want to do a job? And there's no wrong answer. I think in the world that we live yeah. in, sometimes you're made to feel like it's a wrong answer to choose the individual contributor route. Cause that, right. what are you amounting to and all that crap? That's not true. It's probably another thing that I disagree with about how people view careers. But if you're going to choose one of those paths, the way you prepare for that path is so different. You got to learn a lot to be a people leader and you got to think about what it means in a company to know HR policies and to think about the legal ramifications for how you handle things and how the team needs to be helped and nurtured, which takes you away from your job. And do you have the patience to do that and the life situation to do that? And then if you're an individual contributor, you got to figure out like, what do, what do I like? Like, what do I want to do long-term? Is it sales? If it's sales, that's great. But if it's sales, you can also ask questions like, do I want to be at an enterprise tech company or do I want to be a more transactional tech company or whatever? Because there's a whole different job between two different sales roles based on what the product is or how mature the company is. I think that's where when I got all of that figured out and I was like, yes, I want to go the people leader route. Yes, I want to do operational strategic work. It was really easy to be motivated to go and learn those extra things on the side and think about outreach systems and think about Salesforce and data and then apply that. That was where the, the motive all came from though. Yeah. I love some of what you said because in my career, you know, it, it was a question that to me, I never allowed myself to ask, which was, you know, if, if I, if I could kind of like have a dream job, what would that job be like? Because in my mind, you know, job meant just over broke. You have to be an entrepreneur. I was like totally bought into that sexy vision of entrepreneurship. And I hadn't really allowed myself to really think about it and say, all right, well, that's great. But what do I actually want? You know, and then when I did and I, and I said, all right, let, let me just figure out what I would really want to do. Then all of a sudden, when I decided it and realized it and was honest with myself, it was pretty like surprisingly easy to figure out next steps, you know, mm -hmm. like it's not that hard or that complicated, but you actually have to decide, you know, and I love that, that you, you put that in there that, you know, once you, once you pick the preparation now, you know what to prepare for, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you Another also element. Know the, yeah, go ahead. the resistance that you're going to face too, because that path has its own set of unique challenges and you can expect challenges yeah. if you know what path you're going down. I wrote my senior thesis in my philosophy degree on the ethics of change and how basically the thesis was when we understand change, we do it better. So if you understand the future state that you're going for and you understand the 
current state that you're in now and you can map a path to go from where you're at to where you want to be. It might not be perfect and you might not get exactly where you wanted to go and it might not look the same as what you thought. But if you know that there's a future state that you have in mind, then there's a gap between you and where that future state is. And if you can find a way to create milestones and actions and plans to get to that future state, that will allow you to define what your, your resistance will be, the things that will get in your way, and then the resources that you need to find or use that will help you to like propel you on that path toward what you want to get to. I think people don't know how to find what the future state is that they're going for. So mm. it's harder to, it feels harder to go and find all the milestones and to understand what my resistance will be. And sometimes you can't, sometimes it's hard to just to make that future state decision. But if you can at least know, I want to be a people leader of some sort, or I want to focus on finding a job that's at a really, really good mature enterprise tech company, whether it's a people leadership role or an individual contributor role. That leads you down certain paths of knowing at least what milestones you should take next, the next mm -hmm. most important thing to do to get to whatever that future state might end up being. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I think has helped me too, is just like keeping that future state as a big focus in everything that I do. Yeah. Uh, you said something in there that, that sometimes it can be difficult to find, to, to decide and figure out what that future state, what, what even you want. Yeah. You know, for years I used to go through, I read all the self-help books in the world. Right. And ultimately looking back, I can see that what I was really after was a shortcut. That's what I was really after. I would not have admitted that at the time. I would have said some nonsense about, I know I have to work and I, and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately that's what I was looking for. And because I was looking for a shortcut, um, I was going about it the wrong way and I was picking goals and visions and all these things, these future states that ultimately were just to impress other people, not really what I really cared about. Yeah. And I had to get over that first. And once I did, then I was able to be honest with myself about what I really wanted. So my question for you with that is, and, and, and you may not have an opinion one way or the other, cause it's hard to know, I think, but it, it is it, is it possible for everyone at this moment to figure that out? Or maybe is the answer to say, listen, you might not be like in the place you need to be to really decide that. So be patient and try to make good decisions, but, but be aware of that possibility. So what do you think? Do you think everyone can do it right now? Or do, do some people need to wait for life to trigger things in them? I think I'm usually a fan of the genius of the and instead of the tyranny of the or, if you know what I mean, where it's not like a dichotomy between the two things. The genius okay. of the and between those two things would be maybe you don't know everything and maybe uh -huh. you do need to be patient and maybe you do need to let things develop. You're in college, you're just recently graduated or you just had a kid and you don't like your current job. You don't know when you're trying to figure out what's next. but you can at least know a goal. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's a career goal. Figure out what you care about. Do you Did you just have a kid? My goal is I want to have a job that's stable enough to allow me to pick and take my kid home from school. Like that's something that can guide your decisions if that's something that really matters. So I think, yes, be patient always. That's kind of just a given. And yes, have a goal always, even if it's mm. not this specific career goal. Cause oftentimes 
those outside of work type of goals could almost be more of an influencer in some of your in work decisions or your career decisions, because they give you, those are the things you like wake up and go to bed thinking about, not what spreadsheet I'm going to do tomorrow for my compensation plans. I have to send out to the 200 SDRs. That's not what I want to think about when I'm going to bed. I want to think about (laughs) my wife and I building a house and my understanding that the medical bills that I have to pay to keep my wife healthy with the stuff that she's dealt with, with all her health, like that's what keeps me going. And it's so much easier when that's something you realize can be coupled with patients and doing both at the same time, even if you don't know your career goal right away. Mm-hmm. I love that. The and you don't have yeah. to choose between. I love that. If you do have to choose between though, I think being patient is probably better because if you choose the other and you're not in a place to make that decision, you might change it and it'll feel really stressful. So if you have, yeah. if you can't do something to set a goal, then just be patient with yourself. And that's probably the best place to start. And then eventually set a goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, um, here's, because if you do it that way, you're always moving somewhere and opportunities seem to come when you're doing something, not when you're not you know stagnation doesn't lead to anything so you're being patient but you're moving to some goal whatever that might be at the time and then when you really start to feel passionate about a specific direction you'll know you know you'll know um, yep. i think I, I love that advice that's that's hard for me man i gotta be honest that's hard for me i'm a really black and white kind of thinker and so i, I like that answer for black and white thinkers and for the pluralists of truth that can see both sides and everything you can be motivated by something. Yeah. And that is what I'm saying. It's not so much knowing exactly where you're going to go for some people. Work is just a job. Like it's not like they care so much about that. They want to go to their kids plays and their sports games and their music recitals. And they want to spend more time with their wife and be at home working remote. The corporate nine to five, I think, is a lot less appealing to people that care about their um, their goals. And not, sorry, the, the corporate eight to seven is more like I'm never going to do that. The corporate nine to five is what I want because then I have the flexibility and that sort of thing. So I think it's OK for the goal not to be work related. It can be something mm-hmm. else. But if you have a goal, you're moving and momentum mm-hmm. is balance, in my opinion. Like you, it's really hard to just stop midstream when you're walking and like try to balance on one foot but you balance when you're just in that nice steady momentum moving forward and trying to find something in the right direction so that's mm-hmm. what i always tell people just move forward momentum is balanced and you'll find eventually what you're supposed to be doing i love that all right so what i'm hearing here is number one you got to find someone to knock you out so you can have an epiphany yep Yep. No, <laughs> just kidding, everyone. So I think a big theme I'm I'm getting is patience, but with a goal in mind. Prepare, and that could be for everything. That could, if you know where you're going in your career, prepare now for what's going to happen in three years. You know, start building those skills. I think a great example you shared of preparedness, which we didn't call it out exactly at the time, but. When you were interviewing for customer customer in New York, you know when they asked you you know that question, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're good at thinking on your toes and everything, but I'm guessing that you put in some work to prepare for that 
interview so that you had your head right about what your message was, what you were wanting to communicate, and also what you wanted to, to get out of that. Um, I'm assuming that sounded yeah. prepared to me. Oh, totally. The reason why I feel like I need to be prepared too is because at that time I was already running my consultancy on the side and it's still a small consultancy. We only do like a hundred grand in revenue a year. It's not like we're going to go crazy and go big either, but mm -hmm. that business was like a lifeline to so many things that my wife and I were trying to do at the time. And to have the pay that I was going to get, if I did that conversation the right way, I would need to do less with my business and be able to do the same stuff that I want to in my life and figure out how to do this other business that I was starting to pay for my wife to go on trips for her school for the study abroad that she was doing. So yeah, I was prepared because like my situation is different where I'm doing side hustles and I'm trying to make stuff like that work. And you can't do a side hustle if you don't know how an employee agreement works and what intellectual property is and how the laws work in the company or the state that you're working in. So yeah, you got to prepare, but the level of preparedness and the type of preparedness that you do depends a lot on what your goals are. So it doesn't mean that everybody in the world needs to take the same approach I did. I'm unique. I'm running two businesses while working full time. And that's not something a lot of people are willing to do or are able to do with the circumstances that they have. So be prepared in the ways you're supposed to, and then everything will start to work out or you'll learn that you should have been prepared another way and you can do it better next time. Awesome. All right, so we'll we'll wrap up with some final thoughts and then we're gonna ask you kind of how we can connect with you, how listeners might be able to interact with or engage with maybe your consultancy or whatever. But real quick, final question. You know, if someone's hearing these concepts for the first time right now, what'd be maybe the top one to three action items that you would give them to do right away? Um, first of all, find multiple, not just one people that have been there, done that people that are mentors that are willing to coach you could be family members, your uncle or your aunt, that's got an executive role or somebody you worked with in the past that knows you a little bit, but maybe not perfectly. I've gone back to like Alex Schutman of Workfront. He's a mentor for me and the CTO of Lenovo mentor for me, like these people that should never want to talk with me. I prospected them and just asked them, I need help. I care about giving back to the world and I need somebody to show me the things that I should do to handle that properly. So that's a, a the first and most important one. And you can find mentors related specifically to what you care about. The second thing is I didn't take this advice near as much as I should have until like six months ago when my health went bad and I had to, but work-life balance, that is non-negotiable. It's not something you can just hope works out because you will die sooner if you have less ability to take care of yourself. And that's something that I've learned the hard way. So I think making sure that that's a focus is, is always helpful in everything. And then third, and this might seem counterintuitive, but just, just have the right perspective about when something hard happens, that's a learning opportunity. It's an opening to a new door or when something like you are trying to work on this project that is really hard, or even it's really easy and you're bored. What you do today at your current job and tomorrow and next week and next month, those are the things you're doing to prepare for your next role a year from now or two years or five years from now. And if you don't take a mindset that's like, how do I prepare? Then you'll end up not prepared. That's just how it works. So 
I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And to summarize the three, making sure that you have a mentor, work-life balance, and being prepared now for your future roles, just with your perspective. That's the advice that I would give. Awesome. I love it. All right. Uh, let's, let's get some ideas on where we can connect or where listeners might be able to connect with you. And I'm not sure exactly what your consultancy does, honestly. Uh, maybe plug that if that's relevant. Yeah. So I own a Salesforce consultancy. We do marketing operations and Salesforce database, Salesforce admin work. It's just hourly. So if you have a bad database or you have a lot of things that don't seem like they work in your Salesforce, we got you covered. And then um, awesome. one view is a predictive analytics platform that helps you manage your sequence strategy and know when you work on things with marketing and ops and enablement, how your messaging is going to work and as well, how many tasks will be built from the sequences that you put prospects into. So if you want to like learn about any of those, you can go to my LinkedIn profile, request a message for me or connect with me. And I'd love to talk, but probably LinkedIn's the easiest or Remington at c1view.com to email me if you want to. Very cool. All right. We'll link that up in the show notes. Um, but uh, Remington, after I, I hang up here, well, we're going to hang out a second after it stops recording. I guess not hang up, but when I hit stop recording. But other than that, really appreciate your time and uh, you can say bye to the listeners. Hey, thanks for listening. Hopefully you're having a good day and I'd love to hear your thoughts or disagreements or advice for me as well. I appreciate you listening.